0: It is said that the pen is mightier than the sword, and in business, it is doubly true as we communicate our dreams and aspirations as business owners and entrepreneurs via websites, business cards, and sales collateral. Our guest on today's Cash Flow show is a lady who has made her career as a full-time writer, a journalist, and a very interesting spell in the diplomatic corps to find out more tune in after the intro hello and welcome i'm clayton m coke and i'm also the host for the cash flow show the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast but with so much more every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business what their trials and tribulations were and how they intend to grow their business in the future We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film and a favourite single or album and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Hello and welcome to The Cashflow Show. Our guest today is the wonderful Michelle B. Harris. Hello Michelle, thank you for joining us here on The Cashflow Show.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, You're most welcome. For the listeners who have been intrigued by my introduction, please tell us a little bit about you and the name and nature of your business.
1: Well, I'm a full-time writer. I'm a copywriter and a journalist, and I've been in business. Well, I've been publishing for in excess of 40 years, but my business was set up about 12 years ago, which is style copywriting.
0: Okay, excellent. Now, um, you've been in business or you've been around writing for a long time. How did you start? What's the start of your journey in business?
1: I think it when you are a creative, it comes from a pivotal point at some point in your life, which determines your career and your aspirations for the long term. And for me, it was reading Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte when I was 10 years old. There was something about that book that set something very deep inside of my being that I would like to be a writer. I'd like to be able to impart messages, feelings, emotions through the format of the written word. So basically, it was a key point reading Jane Eyre.
0: I suppose I always look at things as, uh, in terms of things like Jane Eyre and... Is that a Bronte book? Yes, yeah, Charlotte yeah, Bronte. Charlotte Bronte. Um, uh, and sort of the um, Emily Bronte and the Bronte sisters. I, I suppose I always look at those as uh, ad- adaptations, and let me get my teeth backing, in, um, in terms of, sort of BBC drama. But the fact is, it doesn't matter how many times they get remade, the quality of the writing still remains.
1: It's more than the writing, it's the characters'. Um, because the way when you have a true archetypal talent like Charlotte Bronte, she evokes the characters in a way that you can identify with them, they resonate. And when you have powerful writing, which is of that caliber, it goes across the centuries, it's as relevant today as when it was written. The pe- people, human nature, psychology, people's interactions don't change.
0: No not at all
1: and that is the beauty of it but essentially the theme is that of romance and love through a journey finding true love and not always maybe realizing that your true love may be the person that you're with but it's the journey that you share and the development of the emotion and also how that person develops you as an individual or a character which is something which is immortal but also ultimately very romantic and very gentle
0: yes I suppose so I mean and people are going to start laughing at this point. I'm a bit a fan of the old Pride and Prejudice. I've watched it a few times now. Jane Austen, uh, yeah, yeah, Jane Austen. I mean, and it, it's—I assume it's of that type of era. Am I right? Or yeah, or, same
1: sort of era. I mean, Bridget Jones' Diary is based on Pride and Prejudice. It's just been adapted and made more modern. You know, you've got the cad, you've got the hero, <laughs> you know, and you've got the woman in between. But when characters are strong, they—they they can be modified, but. Uh, these great British writers like the Brontes, Jane Austen, their characters are immortal. I mean, everybody is in love with Mr. Darcy. Everybody is in love with Heathcliff. Everybody's in love with Mr. Rochester because these heroes become what we want them to be. Okay,
0: very interesting. In terms of heroes, let's go back to you as a business. Mm -hmm. The fact is, is that you've got this passion for writing and it's been instilled in you at 10 years old. How does that transplant now to your business life? Because you write for a living, so you're one of those fortunate people that gets to do what you love on a daily basis, which is very rare in business. So tell me about your business and how that
1: started. Well, I've been writing since I was 18 and publishing since I was 18, but it was a hobby. But I've always written people that are writers, artists, musicians, whether you're paid for it or whether you're not, you can't help it. It's intrinsic within your personality. So I've always written stuff, books. I've written novels. I've got a novel on Amazon at the moment, Diamonds I and Secrets. I did notice that, yes. yes I... <laughs> and I've got some short stories. So I do cover a full remit of different writing genres, but my career, my first major role, um, without going into too much detail before that, was when I went to the Middle East. So I, I worked in Egypt for three years. When I came back, I met my husband. I got married and I was working as an executive assistant, okay. and in that of my generation, generally There wasn't room within a marriage for two careers. It was normally one, and the woman supported, brought up the family, looked after the home. So I kept writing, and I worked as a part-time, say, executive assistant. But then, when I got divorced, and I had to really put my thinking cap back on about how would I support my children, get them through university, be an independent career woman... Being a secretary wasn't going to be enough. And it was people who actually knew me that said, adapt your abilities and become corporate, become a commercial writer. Mm -hmm. And so I studied to become a copywriter. And then it was just a way of adapting. But because I've read, I mean, I've probably read in excess of over 5,000 books in my lifetime. And I'm always reading and always analysing words in all different formats. But as a copywriter, I was able to turn a writing ability into something that was able to give me an income that would pay the bills, keep the walls from the door. Sorry, excuse a the cliché. <laughs> no, 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 um, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with clichés. <laughs> clichés are clichés because they work. They were good ones. <laughs> they were just flogged to death thereafter. <laughs> so it was become a copywriter. But then, so I began to get clients. I began to network. People were reading my work. They were interesting. They were intrigued. I studied the greats and... But in order to up my game, because I firmly believe that you can always be better and I was meeting other copywriters, but I noticed they wouldn't know what an arresting opening was, call to action, how they would embellish a theme, how they would utilise the importance of a mission statement or USP. So I thought rather than sort of promote myself as, you know, maybe having a different slant on other copywriters, I thought I needed some other accreditation. So... I then studied to become a journalist, and you you don't apply and get an NUJ card, you have to be vetted by a panel. So I applied to be recognised as both a journalist and as a copywriter. So my work was vetted by the NUJ, I passed, and I've also got a press card, but then as part of my development, I then wanted to become an international uh, reporter, so I then applied to the IFJ, and that was or that went through Brussels. So what's the IFJ? International Federation of Journalists. Okay, right. So now when I say I'm a copywriter, and I say, and I am also um, a national journalist in the UK, I'm also an international reporter, so that gives gravitas to my promotion of my work as a copywriter because I've been vetted and accredited. Of course. So, and I think with any industry, it's very important to have a USP that you are different to other people that say they do the same. So is this your first business? Yes, it is. Yep, yeah. yeah, It is my first business. I set up in 2008, and I didn't realise we were in a recession at the time. Um, but it was, you know, a bit like NASA, failure is not an option. And I just was writing probably 20 hours a day, meeting people, developing the craft, making contacts, developing the business relationships that could help propel an idea into an industry and a successful business.
0: And that's what I find quite interesting about what you say, when you go back to the point at 2008, because one of the first guests that we had on the Cashflow show was a lady called Bella, uh, the networking guru, and she was in episode two. And what was quite interesting is that she says exactly the same thing as you. She started in 2008 (laughs) and didn't realise there was a recession and she just kept on going. And I think that sometimes that... Another cliche, I'm sorry... Ignorance is bliss, Um, but they do work. Um, It can really be a, a driver and it can be something that can actually work to your benefit because unless you know how deep the fall is, for want of a better expression. You know, you just keep going and walking along that tightrope until you get to the other side.
1: Yes, um, and I had two children. I had a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old and they were doing their GCSEs and A-levels and I didn't want them to be worried about anything outside of their own careers. So it was my duty to ensure that whatever I could do to to look after them. But I think when you are so very very driven and with whatever else may be going around you you have another responsibility and I think being I'm very much into nature and what is natural I think the maternal instinct is a very strong force and I think when a woman is trying to protect her children she's capable of infinitely more than if it was just for herself.
0: Yes. Yeah. You do hear stories of women sort of lifting cars up because their child's under the car mm. and They're thinking, you know, there's an animal and they're, they're going to punch a, uh, a bear in the face mm. because you're not going to eat my child. It's yeah, it, it is. It's well documented and well, well um, uh, publicized that that has been a situation where where women, you know, when pushed to, to that limit will do whatever needs to be done. Mm.
1: That's right. And I think I'm hyperactive, so working 18, 20 hours a day. Um, Looking back, I'm not quite sure how I did it. I just knew that I had to. And it was only when my fingers ached and my eyes burned that I realised that it was probably time to stop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean... You know, 20 hours a day, and you know, I do something sometimes a bit closer, and I'm needed to have to stop that dramatically. But in terms of your business, what have been the biggest challenges? Because I've, in terms of the late payment debt recovery work that we've done, we've had clients as, and do have clients as copywriters. And so I've got a, a feeling as to, how they work and the pitfalls that happen, and I may even discuss a particular case I had with one particular copyright in terms of their work. But in terms of what you do, what have been the biggest challenges? Because you've literally started this from nothing. So what? What in 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 your mind? What can you remember? What those challenges were, or, or do they? Have you never forgotten them? <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's so many different challenges, um, but I think probably. One of the biggest challenges um, at the beginning was going into a room full of business people as some as a rookie and trying to articulate confidence about the services that you offer, but really being very, very nervous inside. So I think with all business people, there is an element of theater in that we present how we feel we should look and be but the realities are we may be quite vulnerable and fragile underneath that and creatives certainly are Uh, a lot of writers are quite shy about their craft but so it was a challenge to be able to sort of stand tall and confident and proud when I was feeling very very nervous I think that you have to understand the situation that you're in, what it is you want to achieve, and what is essential to facilitate the goal that is required to be successful. So I think probably the biggest challenge is just probably overcoming your own personal issues and hurdles.
0: I think when we start out, most of us, I think what's the best way to describe it? Most of us have an idea of the product or service that we want to sell. But the fact is, we also are concerned of whether anybody else thinks it's good enough. Mm -hmm. We live in a social media world. So if you put up something that's a great posting and you've done a video and nobody likes it, you know, people judge that as an indicator of whether or not... They uh, have done something good or done something worthwhile or something. And there are many great creatives, you know, I I particularly have a fondness for music. So I always look at the albums that I have, which probably maybe sold 2000 copies, which I think are fantastic, which nobody else bought. And obviously there's, I'm sure there's, you know, there's lots of J.R. Hartleys to go yeah. back. Yeah. For those who don't yeah. remember, there was an advert many, many years ago about a gentleman who was fly fishing, fly fishing by J.R. Hartley and he this gentleman was an old guy he'd go from bookshop to bookshop and it was an advert for yellow pages basically and this is pre-google kids so um uh, anybody who, who who understands that google is is their life before google there was yellow pages and that's where you went to to find things and the advert was based on the fact that he was looking for a copy of his own book and which obviously he'd written many years ago and um i didn't keep a copy of. um the fact that you've had those challenges, do you think, you know, copywriting and journalism is very much still quite very heavily
1: male-dominated?
0: How does that fit in with the difficulties that you've had and overcome and you as a businesswoman?
1: What I realised was going to be um, a business challenge, and I tried to identify them before they become a problem, was a copywriter. I describe it as one slice of the cherry pie. If you write a website, you need a web. Design. Designer. you need a graphic designer, you need a photographer. If you write a brochure, you need a printer. You know, we are alongside and a part of power teams. What I realised was that working alone as a copywriter would only serve as part of any project or commission that I had. So I therefore had to find very good people that shared my ideals and my integrity. And a problem with a lot of creatives, they can get caught up in the creative aspect of the work. It's quite rare to find creatives who are also very business focused no that's true so i had to find teams of people that had the same ideals as me that when we had a business meeting it was about business and the creative aspect was simply that an aspect so in order to and referring back to an earlier comment keep upping the game with the skills so i taught myself a marketing degree okay and by learning all about marketing improved the calibre of the copywriting because I could then include lots of different strategies as part of the writing. But also it meant that I could go into companies, review their branding, look at what they needed done, how they're going to appeal to their target audience, what was the message, all the different aspects which make Um, a creative and marketing proposition viable so then I would project manage these bring in the team so the copywriting was actually has actually become an aspect of the work that I offer but when it comes to the senior copywriting that's always me that I will do it and I will project manage so doing a marketing degree in addition to also doing a literature degree as well just gave a far bigger understanding made the umbrella bigger and therefore, all the other people underneath it, which facilitated the bigger, more profitable and more interesting projects.
0: And do you feel that in order to grow your business, having that kind of satellite team of people who do different things, hmm. but associated with you? I suppose what the people are saying that um, uh, collaboration is the new competition. But is that, would you say it's something like it's not too dissimilar to that?
1: I think collaborating is very, very important. But it's also having the right people. And as a satellite, if you're not actually under the same roof whilst you're doing the work, you've got to be absolutely sure of their capabilities, their trustworthiness. Because when you go into a client and you're representing other people, you have to be very sure of them. And I think probably the key things within business, and I was discussing this with Clayton before the interview... It's about reputation and I think probably the most important aspect of anybody in business is your reputation and people who will want to align themselves with you, who will want to aspire to being on par with you and having people that you want to be able to ride on the coattails of their reputation too. It takes a very long time to get a good reputation and referring to what you mentioned before about social media, people do talk, people do share experiences. There are important platforms like LinkedIn, which every business person should use. And I think probably one of the most important aspects of that is the testimonials. What we say about ourselves resonates on one one level. What other people say about us and are prepared to formalise within the format of a corporate social media platform says infinitely more.
0: So... You know, you've established your business and your business has um, grown. It's basically formulated itself in the business universe, for want of a better expression. Bearing in mind where you are now, what do you think that you would have done differently?
1: Um, Probably I would have liked to have started 20 years before. I think that um, if I hadn't have put my career on hold whilst I was married and set up an agency 20 years before, and especially in the heyday of the advertising world, um, I probably would have been um, financially a lot more compensated than starting in the middle of a recession. But, um, you know, experience is a wonderful thing, Uh, hindsight and looking (laughs) back on what you could or could not have done. I mean, nobody ever knows. We can just use our imagination. But I think it's I think it's sad to be be full of any kind of regret. I started at a time where I needed to set up a business. I may not have been so driven if I wasn't in the personal situation that I was. I may have been a bit more flippant about it and not so determined and focused. So things happen for a reason. The universe throws things at us at any given time and we find ourselves through the journey through the experience that we have within our lifetimes. And you sort of embrace them as they come along and don't have any regret. Uh, business mistakes, I try and only make them once.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, you know what they say? is like when people go onto YouTube and they'll say, oh, you know, I want to start a YouTube channel. And they say, when is the best time to start? And the person says, 10 years ago. <laughs> and it goes, but when is the best time to start? I said, well... The second best time to start is now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Basically, (laughs) when it happens, it happens. And you, you know, you take the moment, you do the best with it and uh, you enjoy it. To to have regret is a waste of time. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And I think that's one thing I've learned. And I suppose in terms of learning, what we're going to have to do at this point is to take a break, to have a word from our sponsors. And we'll be right back with Michelle B. Harris, um, giving us more of an insight into her life and her work and her future. Thank you very much. We'll be back shortly.
1: Bad debtors can rob you of your time and money. They can destroy your whole business within weeks. Archaic debt collection agencies and expensive legal fees will drain your cash flow. But in one day, the PRMS Business Debt Prevention Course will teach you how to create late payment management procedures, invoice for immediate settlement, and eradicate existing debt. You'll study real life examples to drag your business out of the red. Visit www.prmsltd.co.uk or call 0203 0203- 865-7138 to register now before bad debtors make your business another failed statistic.
0: Hello and welcome back to the second half of the Cashflow Show with our guest Michelle B Harris. Well, Michelle, we've had an interesting first half from you, so now we're going to get onto the more interesting Exciting bits—the the, the the opportunity for people to get to know the real Michelle B. Harris. I've got to say that, just in case there's another Michelle Harris lurking around.
1: Lots of them <laughs> <laughs>
0: But normally, as, as as anybody who's listened to the show before, you'll know that we've got a certain set of questions that we ask everybody um, every time there's an episode. So obviously, it's your turn up on the rostrum, and the first question is: What is your favourite film, and why?
1: Right. Okay. This may surprise some people, but my favourite film is actually Scarface.
0: Is it, we, not Scarface with Al Pacino? That's the one. <laughs> Bloody hell! You're a gangster. We need to mention that earlier. I thought to myself, "No, she's probably talking about some um, Jimmy Cagney film or something." Oh, blimey! This is all flipping. Yeah, it's all a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, (laughs) you're going to tell me you're listening to Snoop Dogg next. I mean, this is what's (laughs) wrong. Because the reason why I laugh is because most rappers, their um, favourite film is always Scarface. Right, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so you, you've got something in common with uh, many, a, uh, many a rapper um, out of um, uh, the USA. So, okay, um, so I
1: won't be a rapper, I'll be a writer. <laughs>
0: well, same principle, really. It's the same thing with words. Uh, excellent stuff. So I've got to know the background behind this. So.
1: Scarface. Well, first of all, I think Al Pacino is one of the best actors Of all time. But what I love about Al Pacino, because as a writer, I analyse scripts. Okay. Um, I listen to the words. If I like a film, i watch it numerous times, the words that are used, how they work, what do they mean, how can it be interpreted. I look at all the different levels. And there are some... First of all, Al Pacino, he just takes up the whole screen when he speaks. But the actual way the film is developed you've got this sort of young immigrant getting off the boat coming over from Cuba but from a writer's perspective looking at it some of the lines within the film are very very good they're very very interesting they're very very powerful but the other thing about Scarface is there's lots of aspects of it which are very important for leadership skills okay so, I've got a couple of my favourite quotes, as I knew that question was going to be coming my way, and you wouldn't have heard them in this context, but if I take one, and we just sort of look at it for a moment, okay, the world is yours.
0: That's an also a rap song by a rapper called Nas.
1: Oh, right, okay. So, I just thought okay. I'd share
0: that with you. Thank
1: you. <laughs> but when you go into business and you're nervous and you wonder what the possibilities are you know the world is yours well the world is yours if you try and make it obviously it's not going to work for everybody but that doesn't mean you don't try it doesn't mean you give up excellent um another one is about um about the dog Every dog has its day. That's his one. Every dog has his day. These are Tony Montana, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I'll I'll leave out the quotes which have a certain word beginning with F, which will probably get me blitzed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you out.
0: You'll get a shot. Yeah,
1: chap. I'll probably, you know, won't be... Um, played past Watershed, so I'll (laughs) skip those quotes. But um, leadership, I work hard for this. I want you to know that. He talks about how hard he works. He talks about networking. He surrounds himself with people that he trusts. There's a wonderful quote here about trust. Let me just try and find it. Go for it. About who do I trust? Me. He knows that ultimately the buck lies with him with whatever deal he's doing whatever is going on he is ultimately responsible for it um and that the importance of reputation and integrity Mm. there's a there's a brilliant one which i'm just trying to see if i can find um here we go the only thing in this world that gives orders is balls
0: I must remember that next time. uh, A
1: few more. Always tell the truth, which is true. Stick to your word. In America, it pays more to work smart than to work hard. And I think that is a very, very powerful quotation for people in business. Sticking to your word, but also what can be achieved by business success. Obviously, I won't go along with this one, but you'll get the gist. Money equals power and power leads to more women. Okay, I'm not after women through power.
0: <coughs> but, but, but you get but, the point. But you can see what drives a lot of men in business. Yeah,
1: Get mm. the job done at all costs. You know, if we look at some of these quotes and we actually break it down, surround yourself with the right people, the relationship that he has with Manny, that he probably is the only person that he trusts, but obviously to anybody who's seen the film, and I don't want to you know, be a spoiler, but... The importance of trust and I think within business that we surround ourselves with people that we trust and I think also with our clients we have to know we can trust our clients because if you're in a business relationship and all business is relationships as well as them trusting you as the person providing the service or the product we need to feel we can trust them too. Of course. So there's lots of wonderful lines, aside being a fantastic film, especially the last section when we have that fantastic gunfight, but I won't go into that. <laughs> um, it's very, very exciting, and I say it is my the favourite film. Funnily enough, a client, um, I was discussing this with him, he was very happy with some work I had done for him. And he actually picked up the script for me as a thank you for my work. So I've actually got a signed script.
0: Wow! Well done, well done. So that was um, a a bit of a shocker out of the gate there. Um, So let's move on to your favourite book and why. This one is going to be a bit more difficult for
1: you. Actually, um, my favourite book is. Well, I've got low. I mean, I've read so many books. Um, There are many for all different reasons. But I thought I would continue with the theme of, quotes, leadership. And instead of a book, if it's okay, I may, re- may I refer to a play. Oh,
0: please. Okay. okay. And in that
1: case, it would be Henry V ah, by William okay. Shakespeare. Okay. So Henry V is a very, very powerful play. And if we break it down, it's also about leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who are into Shakespeare or enjoy Shakespeare or have seen the film, whether with Laurence Olivier or with Kenneth Brenner, it's about how Henry V adopts different leadership skills in order to achieve what it is that he's after. And the words are so fantastic. Uh, Winston Churchill used it within the Second World War. Um, most people have heard, we, few, we happy few, we band of brothers. That is actually part of the St. Crispin's Day speech as originally um, quoted by Henry V within the Shakespearean play. But it's about how words can be used to get people and in this case it was the English army when they felt they were going to be defeated because they were so significantly outnumbered by the French but using words to make them feel powerful words empowered an army that felt it had no chance to stand up and fight and ultimately to win the ba- uh, battle of uh Agincourt in 1415.
0: So Henry V. Henry V, okay. So um, I I was originally thinking that you may have, sometimes when you say to somebody who's really into books, the fact that you've managed to pick one, and it is a book and it is a play, so it it works really well. So now on
1: to your favourite album or single and why? Okay, this I think is going to be a further surprise (laughs) for you. Um, I like all types of music and it depends on my mood, which I think is probably relevant to most of us. So I have an eclectic uh, mix of favourites. But when, because I'm so very much about words, always analysing words, always looking at words, I do like to sing along to a song that I know well. And even though I can't sing, and I shall spare you the torture (laughs) of me singing anything at all, I particularly like disco music. OK, right. So, 70s, 80s disco music... The words are memorable, they're not offensive, but it also evokes a sense of time, of fun, freedom. So for me, listening to music, and especially when I'm driving, I do like to listen to 70s, 80s disco music. Michael Jackson is always a favourite. Blondie, ELO, Earth, Wind and Fire. The golden oldies (laughs) that make us golden oldies (laughs) smile as we reminisce our heyday.
0: Well, do you know something? I think there is something to be said about quality music. Played well, good singers, good songs. Once you've got that, that's the reason why these records and these albums keep coming back again and again mm. and again. And as I said, that music, I think that music is very, very powerful. The same way that you say words are very, very powerful. And I was having a discussion about this the other day. The way that words are presented and the way that music is presented has such a powerful impact on culture and people's behaviour.
1: It is. And if you look at the music of the 60s and the Beatles and sort of the social revolution that was going on at that time. But the other thing is as well, often the theme of songs is love Mm. and I think love is very difficult to articulate in a rational format because it is so heavily based upon emotion but within a song and you can find a song for anything that you may have felt with respect to love happiness joy sadness you know if you've given the boot (laughs) or that you know the first time you see somebody Um, it could be some a song that you danced with somebody to that evokes a very special time so With music, music touches you dependent upon your experience and your emotional response, whether it be by the sounds, whether it be by the words. So music is very, very powerful, but also as a writer, I find it by... Working with simple words which deliver a powerful message and which are emotional, again, can sometimes put me in the right place, dependent on what I may be writing shortly thereafter.
0: And I think that's the difficulty, isn't it? Because simplicity, i when I write, I tend to... Overwrite. That's my style, and I try to blame it from being in the legal profession, but they probably won't accept responsibility for that. That's just my style. I use a lot of words. And learning to do things simply, there is an art to it. And the fact is, and very much going back to songs, the simplest songs, and you think, you know, you hear songs that are very, very complicated, but the reality of it is when you hear a simple song, and you can't believe how simple it is. Mm. It really does move you. And But to make a complicated song and make it simple, you know, when you say to people, oh, no, you need to strip that off, strip that away, strip that away. And it takes me ages if I'm writing something. I get there in the end because I learned that what is it that I need to say here? And sometimes that Twitter 160 character limit really does. If you want to actually make a, something that's
1: readable and understandable, there is an art to it. And and that's also songs that is very much along the same lines as copywriting or yeah. poetry. It's how do you simplify it with the right words, but with music, it, um, you've got the embellishment of sound, not just it works on different levels. Uh, so songs, copywriting, there is a parallel. And as Clayton so rightly just said, delivering a powerful message within a simplistic format is an art form
0: you've managed to do that but let's pretend that you were starting again what is your advice to anyone thinking of starting a business
1: i think for anybody starting a business there has to be a lot of research before you start you have to look at the industry you have to look at the people that are doing it and are successful at it you need to be realistic about your competitors You need to find a unique edge. You need to get your branding right. You need to get your logo right. And reverting back to simplicity, a logo is a very powerful thing. Mine is a golden pen. You know, it says everything about what I am, that I am a pen. Um, So it isn't just a case of setting up a business and maybe having, um, be deluded about um, immediate results or great financial success. The key points are, are you able to do what it is you want to sell? Have you done your due diligence on the industry and the other people who are doing the same? Is there an aspect of your being that is very much in touch with what it is that you want to sell? Because if you're mercenary about it, people are unlikely to trust you or want to do business with you. They want to feel you genuinely care and are committed to what you do that you're good at what you do and that you invest time in developing your reputation because what other people say about you, as mentioned just before, is infinitely more powerful than what you say about yourself. So it's a bit like a military campaign. Know the area, know what needs to be done, go in when the time is right and strategize it. Don't just jump in because you're more likely to make mistakes.
0: Excellent. So what is the one common myth your profession or field that you want to debunk
1: everybody I think there's some there's a glamorous aspect to writing I think people think it's very glamorous it's very exciting it's you know writers write about writers and but the realities are it's hard work you're sitting alone for many many hours inspiration as a professional you you don't wait for inspiration you make it happen because that's the difference between the professionals and the amateurs I think the biggest myth is the glamorous aspect to it the realities are you're alone for a lot of the time you can spend hours just going over something again and again and again editing is painful and that nobody the first thing they write is never the final and it's a painful, it's slow, at times it's torturous, and, but you stick with it until the word's are right and until the client is satisfied and happy to pay for your service. So I think to be realistic about the genuine hard work, but also to be a writer, you have to have read a phenomenal amount and studied, and ultimately I think the best bit of advice I can give is to respect the written word.
0: So what have you read or listened to Recently, that's inspired your writing?
1: I watch a lot of films. I do enjoy films. If I really do enjoy them, I'll watch a film multiple times. I've probably seen Scar... Well, I've actually gone through three Blu-ray DVDs of Scarface, so (laughs) you can imagine how many times I've watched that one. Um, But in recent... um, I'm, I'm actually a very gentle, sensitive person, so my next reference to a film is probably going to be surprising. But the last, latest film that I've seen, there's two films that have touched me and I've wanted to examine them in order to learn from the text and the development of the characters. One is huxley Ridge. you seen Huxaw Ridge? Isn't that a war film? It's a war film directed by Mel Gibson. Yeah. It's a true story. Yeah. And it is actually very, very violent. And there are some scenes which are quite gory. But without them, the film wouldn't work. But it's the development of the characters. Okay, um, It's about a conscientious objector. He doesn't want to go into battle with a gun. And it's about... And it's a true story uh, about this guy, Desmond Vost. And at the end of it, you actually meet the man himself. But it's about courage. It's about bravery in the face of adversity. It's about being misunderstood and people having a perception of you that is so very, very wrong. And I don't want to say what happens... But the film, the message, the words, the determination and the absolute, um, it's about faith. Right, okay. Ultimately, it is about faith. And it was very, very powerful. So that film is something that has touched me very deeply. And his most recent film that has
0: had such an impact. So, in terms of your journalism or journalism work, I should say, in terms of your copywriting, there's always this side of you, as I said, as a uh, not Barbara Cartland, but um, a romance type novel. I mean, uh, there hasn't been a replacement to Barbara Cartland. I can see on the scene there has been a great renaissance. In the romance novel, you know, some Mil- Mills and Boons basically revitalise themselves and repackage themselves, and so on and so forth. And romances and romances that can get a bit saucy seem to be selling very, very well at the moment. Is there a particular reason for that, and how does that impact on the work that you're doing in, in the romantic area?
1: I do write novels, as i mentioned uh, just before. For me, it breaks the boundaries. With copywriting, there are boundaries. There's marketing boundaries. There's what the client wants. It's the objective, what you're trying to achieve, reaching the target audience. But when you write a novel, there's, you, uh, authors shouldn't censor themselves. They should be uninhibited in their expression. And I think the reason why romance will always be popular whether it's uh Mills and Boone and a Barbara Cartland where I think at most you know he may the hero may touch her face with a longing look in his eye and that sort of thing um as compared to something that is a bit more racy I mean when you look at Lady Chatterley's lover I think that was censored I think it was till 1963 something Mm. like that but I think when novels become intimate It only really works if you understand the characters and you care about the characters. Because relationships are intimate when they're important or they're special. And we're not talking about the, um, you know, we're not talking about sordid things. We're talking about relationships. Mm. But I think in a way, all of us are slightly voyeuristic, and there is so much with respect to social media and what's available on the internet. I do I, I think we all kind of want to know everything and reality TV and Love Island and you know, to and all these, you know, people declaring how they really feel and crying on the television and all this sort of thing. I think we want to know how other people feel. And I think in a way it um makes us feel more confident about our own feelings if we know that other people are experiencing similar. So I think with romance, love is essential in all its formats, whether it be between a couple, whether it be with children, whether it be with family or friends. And I think love is eternal. Love is something that we all feel, we all aspire to uh, and want for ourselves.
0: Well, I mean, that's a very good way of looking at it. And as I do take your point, we are living in a very voyeuristic world. And I suppose maybe people want to see the nicer side.
1: Yeah, we want, to, we want to believe that happily ever after really does exist. It's just that we've adapted the format to the 21st century.
0: So you've spent quite a bit of time telling us about what you do and how you do it. If you could step into my shoes what would you have asked yourself that I didn't?
1: Right, didn't see that question coming. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a, actually, it's a
0: relatively new question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm
1: <laughs> what would I have asked myself? Um, um, I think, okay, the question I would have asked me if I were you is with the work that I do and the business that I have, does it make me feel happy? Because I think we talked about love. I think another important emotion is that of contentment, and contentment is a very special place. You know, people talk about being happy or this, that, and the other, but contentment means you have arrived on a certain level. Because when you really want great things and this, that, and the other, you you know, uh, disappointment isn't an inevitability. To, of that but contentment means you're happy with where you're at and I think with the work that I do the business that I have the clients that I have the people that I surround myself with the people that I have relationships with whether business personal wherever it may be I think that ultimately the work that I have done has brought me at my stage of life professionally and personally has brought me contentment and I think that's something which is very special and for which I'm very very grateful and I think it's something that maybe all of us should be realistic about what we can achieve for ourselves and what makes us feel good about the work that we do, how people benefit by working with us, the value of what we leave behind, because it isn't just what we do, but it's how people feel about what we've done long after we have done it. Are they still benefiting? And to feel good about what you produce.
0: And Contentment is a very interesting word. I remember watching a TV program with Billy Joel, Mm -hmm. the singer and composer, and he said that the concept and the idea of contentment, which is more of an Eastern um, philosophy he said it's very, very undervalued mm. because the fact is pe- we live in a world where everybody wants more and more mm. and more and more. And it's and,
1: too material. Yeah,
0: and they don't get to that point where they say, Do you know something? Because if you're a multimillionaire, you can only eat one meal at a time. Mm. And that reminds me of a story about Will Smith, mm-hmm. the rapper and movie actor, etc. And when he started to become really famous and started to make serious money, he invited his father to his house. And the father came in and he's an old school military guy. Not necessarily an older guy, but he, you know, he's very much disciplined, very focused. And he must have said, hey, Dad, you know, i got all these cars. He goes, boy, why you got all those cars? You
1: only got one (laughs) ass. And that's basically it. Because if you're not content, you can never have enough. Exactly.
0: And, you know, it's all of these things. And I think in, in business, sometimes people drive themselves way 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 too hard and we've mm. all done it and we get to a particular point we're thinking no it doesn't matter mm. i don't have to have an office in every town mm. which i then have to close <laughs> when there's a recession i don't have to have 500 people working for me which i left to lay off like deutsche bank yes. when it all goes yeah. horribly wrong
1: yeah um that, that was in the news i saw yesterday Yes, it is. But also, I think that when you are content, you have control of it. And you, you know, wherever it may be, the car that you drive, where you live, labels that you wear, whatever it may be, if you're not content with who you are and what you have, it doesn't matter what you get thereafter, it will never be enough.
0: No, exactly. That's true. Well, on that particular note, we want to necessarily try and wrap up our interview with you today here on the Cast Flow Show. What can I say? I mean, it's been really interesting hearing your journey, what you've done um, from, you know, romance novels. The only thing that we didn't cover which I was intrigued in at the beginning and I don't want to shortchange the listeners. Your time in the diplomatic corps. Mm. Yeah. Were you some sort of Matahari sort of
1: <laughs> what, 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 what was going on? If I were, I would deny it. <laughs> and you can come to your own conclusions. Um, and I'm grateful there are no cameras. <laughs> uh, Tell me about your time there before. Uh, very we do briefly. Go. Um, because, say, I don't want to go into extra time and. Oh no! no have you. Please, please. Um, as part of the Camp David Accords, the Sinai was returned to Egypt, uh, and signed in 1979 between Begin, Sadat, and uh, I, think it was, I think it was Jimmy. Jimmy Carter uh, was it? I think it was Jimmy yeah. Carter. Yeah. yeah. So it was 1979. So Egypt, Sinai was returned to Egypt. Before then. Sinai was part of Israel, but as part of the peace agreement, it was returned. But in order to facilitate that, there was a zone within Sinai, which was to be an international military zone, to be patrolled by the MFO, which was the Multinational Force and Observers. And I was a member of the MFO on the civilian team. So I was out there for three years based in Sinai. Um, I spent a lot of time in Cairo. I traveled a lot through Egypt. I spent a lot of time in Israel. Uh, obviously within the diplomatic corps I had visas for both countries and uh, it was a very very interesting time. I very much enjoy being in the Middle East. I think it's fascinating uh, the ancient history of Egypt you know compared to the well, not compared to Israel, and the biblical aspect of that, because there is a lot of Egypt in the Bible as well, with the Pharaohs. But the way the two countries are very, very different. My work, I worked with a lot of military. Um, although I was a civilian, I had an officer equivalent status and therefore officer privileges. So I had, I was the equivalent of a captain. So I did enjoy. Officers, quarters, officers, clubs, things like that. And I met very, very interesting people. I met uh, generals, politicians, diplomats. Um, Very, very interesting time in my life. Learned a lot, travelled. And I think when you work with very senior military leaders, also work with the US Army Corps of Engineers, it does give you a perspective on what it is to be leadership. And I think with all the experiences that I've had, I think that's probably also why I'm so interested in leadership now, because having worked with people of this caliber, and you know, with respect to my interest in Scarface and Henry V, you know, very, very different. But the central theme is that of leadership. And I think as a business owner, we have to be leaders. On some level, we have to be leaders. We have to understand the people that we work with. We have to understand what they expect of us. And we need to be able to adapt our skills and the way we approach business depending upon what is required and the personality. So I think my lesson from the Diplomatic Core is respect and observation of leaders. Well, that's a hell of a way to wrap up
0: for today. Where can our listeners find you online? Because obviously you've got your copywriting business. Where can they find you?
1: Right, my website is um, www.starcopywriting.com. Is that all
0: one word or? Or one
1: word. Yeah. Um, so say so it's Michelle B. Harris style copywriting. I'm on LinkedIn, so I can uh, always be found there.
0: Is it Michelle B. Harris or Michelle Harris?
1: Uh, I think it's Michelle B. Harris. Yeah. But if you go onto the website, there is a link to the LinkedIn. Okay. And also there's examples of my work on my website. There's testimonials from clients on my LinkedIn profile. So that gives um, an insight into the experience that my clients have by working with me and how I get to know them and their business. So yeah, mainly go to the website.
0: And a plug for the book, go for it.
1: Okay, Diamonds and Secrets, it's available on Amazon. It's in Kindle format, or you can get it on paperback. So, yeah, so it's Diamonds and Secrets, Love Never Lies, by Michelle B. Harris.
0: Ooh, thank you. Okay, well, thank you. Enjoy
1: it. <laughs> a little bit racy in parts.
0: <laughs> well, we love a bit of racy here, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michelle B. Harris, thank you ever so much for joining us here on the Cash Flow Show. It's really been fantastic to hear your story, hear your journey, uh, the not so racy bits, the scarfacey bits, the, and everything in between. It's really been a pleasure having you.
1: Thank you for inviting me to be on your show. It's been a pleasure talking with You're you. Mo- thank you.
0: You're most welcome. Well, that's another episode of the Cash Flow Show just wrapped up. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today and you would like to hear more, then please subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and you will be notified when new episodes are released if you wish to like comment leave a message especially if you're an anchor um you can leave a message for us there or follow us on social media please do so as we would love to hear from you so until next time take care from everyone at the cash flow show goodbye